This is Debbie, and welcome to another brand new episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditched the norm to live their best life and become location independent. Hey everyone, I'm so excited to celebrate the one year anniversary of the Offbeat Life podcast this week. And I'm so happy to announce that I'll be adding one new episode where I share my personal journey to becoming a freelancer. I'll share the ups and downs and how I'm able to prepare for this new lifestyle. I'll be publishing the new episode starting this Saturday, so make sure to look out for it. And of course, I'm always looking for feedback and what you would like me to talk about. I'm so honored and really, really grateful to have all of you in this journey with me. And I can't wait to see what's in store for the next year ahead. This week, I speak with Danny Kim, who is a keynote speaker, consultant, and a cyborg psychologist. What's a cyborg psychologist, you ask? It's, well, let me let Danny explain that because he's going to do it a lot better than I ever will. (laughs) Before becoming a consultant, Danny was set to become a doctor. But after several years in school and failing, he realized that he needed to make a transition. So he changed course. This decision led to a lot of pain and shame, but it also led him to his life purpose. Today, Danny helps other individuals design their personal and professional life callings that allows them to live fulfilled lives. Listen on to find out how to align your passions with your talents and why we must use technology to help us rather than hinder us. so much for joining us for this interview. I'm so excited for this week's guest, Danny Kim. Hey, Danny. Hey, how's it going? I'm great. I'm so excited to talk to you because one of my dear friends, well, two of them actually introduced me to you and we've never met personally, but they have been your raving fans and you as a person has been really instrumental to who they are as well, Jacob and Esther of Local Adventurers. So I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So you are an amazing speaker. You're also a consultant and a cyborg psychologist. So that's really interesting. I've never had someone that did that on the podcast before. Probably a lot of people are wondering what the heck that is. Yeah. So <laughs> so can you fill in the gaps of your story and what that is and why you live an offbeat life? Um, I'll start with uh, what I do as a speaker and consultant. So I work with organizations and leaders to help them at pivotal moments, make the right steps, gain clarity, great gate alignment. And I kind of like to say that I like to help leaders get to bed at night. Um, and so making sure that they have things that are aligned and clear about um, and having someone to talk to and process life with. And uh, what a cyborg psychologist is, is I'm currently getting my PhD right now in industrial organizational psychology. And I'm really fascinated by the interaction and intersection of human well-being and technology. And so what I do is I study how smartphones specifically right now um, distract or retract uh, from human connection and well-being. For those of you who are interested in that field, you've probably read a lot about Google and what they're trying to do. But um, there's a lot that's out there that we're just doing some research on what does it look like to actually be fully present and allow technology to harness our leadership and harness our communication and connection 
and not hinder it. That is really interesting, especially in today's world. And a lot of my listeners and millennials, and that's one of our biggest issues, is even when we mm-hmm. wake up in the morning, the first thing that we do is check our phone. It's right by our bedside. We check our mm-hmm. email, Instagram, all the social media. And it is getting harder and harder to really be connected with the people around us. Even when we're having dinner, we're looking at our phone, we're walking, we're looking at Absolutely. our phone. So Denny, with that in mind, and you're studying that, how can we actually stay connected in our personal relationships in today's technology-heavy world? Recently, I was giving a workshop at a large firm here in San Diego, and I was working with some young professionals And one of the questions that I asked them, I said, what's the number one app you would delete in order to have greater productivity? And without question, the number one source of application was social media, whether that was Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter or Facebook. Number two came Gmail and Slack, which is kind of ironic because you would think that that is what creates productivity. But um, one of the things that I'm really curious about, and I think one of the uh, things that's really extremely important for your listeners to, to consider, what are the times in my day in which I am intentionally connecting in, with people and with the mediums of technology that are going to best suit me to accomplish my tasks? I think that emails and notifications all serve a purpose, our to-do list, our calendars, and yet they can become the thing that overwhelm us very quickly. And instead of finding that thing that we're completely consumed with and passionate about and focusing in on that, we allow other things to distract us. And so I think that part of the challenge for millennials really is figuring out what are the right mediums in which I can use to become more focused and more attentive. You know, one of the things that I use on my phone for me just personally is I use an app called Moment and it tracks my usage and actually gives me reminders every hour that I'm on my phone. Not because I'm trying to feel guilty about using it, but just because I want to become more aware. Um, And I didn't know, to be honest, Debbie, that I use my phone that much, but I spent over three hours a day on my phone. And that's actually little uh, compared to other people. But for me, I was surprised and shocked because I, I wasn't quite aware. So I think one of the things that we just have to become more aware of our technology usage because it becomes a habit. Uh, neuroscientists say that neurons that fire together, wire together. And what that means is we build habits based around technology. I mean, I don't know the last time you or maybe some of your listeners were on their Instagram feed and they just, they forgot why they were even on it, right? They're just kind of like, I'm just on it because I have no other thing to do. And there's some research that's coming out, especially with adolescents that they're showing this fear of missing out. And there's this, uh, term in psychology called nomophobia, which is the fear of not having your mobile phone. Um, and so <laughs> it, it, there's, yeah, there's really some research coming out where it's leading to greater anxiety and depression. And um, there's this research done by a lady here uh, in San Diego State. Her name is Jean Twenge. She wrote a book called iGen. And she did some studies on throughout history, uh, people's happiness and well-being, uh, especially in kind of teenagers. And what she's beginning to see is there's a sharp decline right when the mobile phone was introduced. As more and more kids get connected and more wired in, you just see a correlation of their depression 
and a lack of engagement in, in, in sports or being outside. So there's re- some really interesting research that I'm quite curious about. Yeah, and then not just young children or teenagers and even millennials, but even older folks, right? You see it now. Everyone is using it. And it really hinders a lot of your personal relationships. And you're so right. There's so many correlation to depression and the fear of missing out. Meanwhile, you're missing out of what's right in front of you. So it's kind of ironic in that sense that you have a fear of missing out, but you're missing out life and and what's happening right in front of you. Yeah, The allure of being everywhere or being somewhere multiple places at the same time, it actually detracts from being fully present, like you said. And I think The key to creativity is being fully connected with the present, being observant about nature, uh, being connected and attuned with the person right in front of you, hearing their needs. I think that is the source of creativity. And that's how you have a meaningful life is being fully connected with your surroundings and your present moment. All of the emotional things like the social aspect of it, we're missing out on that. So a lot of people, I feel like are getting more awkward and and awkward when you're speaking to them because we're not so used to that anymore. I I have a quick story about that because so the other day I was at this thing called creative morning and I was volunteering there. And one of the things that creative morning, there's like four or 500 people that come and I was this one of the greeters. I wanted to do an experiment. So I put my phone away and I, I counted every single person that was on their phone in line. And as they were walking up, one out of four people were on their phones in line and they weren't going anywhere. And I was just staring at them and I was looking at them and I would give them the biggest smile and look them straight in the eye. And there's several people, I kid you not, it was extremely awkward because they're like looking at their phones and then they look up at me and then they're like, oh, hey, oh, hey, I didn't even see you. You kind of like, why are you saying hi to me right now? It's too early. And for me, I was kind of thinking, man, how, how much are people losing? Like they come into this event called Creative Mornings to connect with other people and they're all stuck on their phones. And honestly, part of it is they're just probably afraid. You know, they're just like, I don't, it feels awkward. I don't want to talk to anybody. I feel more comfortable pretending like I'm looking at something important. Yep. Mm-hmm. And maybe they were looking for their ticket, maybe. But honestly, I think they were just trying to avoid me. And so <laughs> I think there's a, uh, there's a missed opportunity in that. You're so right. It becomes a shield, right? Because there's a lot of things that we're afraid of. And especially if you go to an event by yourself, you don't know anyone. It is a shield. It becomes something that's a comfort for you to be able to have that technology. And you're so funny. I do this sometimes too. I love to just people watch. And I live in New York City. So I would, when I'm on the subway, I would just watch the people there and 90% of everyone is on their phone. And whenever they would look up, I would do the same thing. I'd smile at them. And it becomes really <laughs> awkward. They're like, why are you smiling at me? You're so weird. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I just want to be con- human and connect with you like on that human level, you know? And, and I think we, we're losing it. I'm thinking about it too. A lot of people go on tinder or match.com to meet people but there's so many missed opportunities to actually find your life partner if you just get out of your phone and smile at someone that you're attracted to and i think that's another thing we're also missing out i just thought about that right now danny (laughs) (laughs) no i'm not a love doctor or anything like that let's be honest you know so 
uh, I don't, I don't go, that's not my realm, but um, <laughs> I'm sure where people are missing out on that, you know, but I think for me, the bottom line is it's about human connection and it's about showing dignity and it's about being fully present with the people that are around. I mean, like you said, you pointed out a lot of your listeners are traveling either by themselves or with uh, other people, but how often are we disconnected from the very people we're traveling with? And I think that, that we lose something there. And the only thing that you have is in that present moment. Um, and it's fine to share. I'm not, I'm not saying throw out your smartphone and delete Instagram. That's not <laughs> what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is, how do we become more intentional? Are there specific times that we're on it? Are, or are we out of habit just checking our phones because we feel bored or at worst feel awkward? So Danny, I heard from, was I don't know if it was Esther or Jacob, that you used to be a pastor before you became a speaker and consultant, right? That's right. That's so interesting. So how did you transition from being a pastor to what you're doing now? What made you decide to go to this different path? Actually, I went to school because I thought I was going to become a doctor. And while I was in college, I did not do well in my grades. I decided that that wasn't for me. But at the end of the day, the best lesson I've learned along the way is that sometimes our greatest mistakes become the thing that you need in order to pursue your true calling. Mistake for me was being in a biology class of 500 people and getting a C. And that seemed like a mistake at the time. And that was a, caused a lot of shame for me. But the reality is that was the impetus for me pursuing a different career path. And so I went to full-time ministry, vocational ministry. And the reason why I went there is because I wanted to have an impact. I wanted to influence people with words and communication. And while I was there, I, I met a consultant who basically helped me kind of re-navigate my career path because it was the greatest opportunity for me. And so I started doing StrengthsFinder coaching and I started doing consulting work. And I started doing organizational development. And from there, that's kind of what's launched me onto my new path. And um, I have an opportunity to travel often so that in some ways I'm rooted in San Diego, but uh, I get a fair amount of travel and get to live a, a life that's untethered, if you will, uh, because of the clients that I get to work with. Yeah, and that must be so interesting. And your life must look so different. I mean, comparing if you were to become a doctor, and you're still helping a lot of people, it's just a different way of doing it. And you found your strength from that and from the mistakes. And I think so many of us are so afraid of failure and the fear of fear itself. And I say this all the time, never look at failure or mistakes as failure. It's just a way for you to learn more about yourself. And the more you learn, Learn, the Absolutely. more you fail, the more you get closer to whatever your success is for yourself. I think that failure is, is quite an anomaly. I think that failure actually is the key to success if we choose to take a look at it. You know, I think a lot of people look at their past failures and they wonder why they took a certain path. Even for me, me becoming a pastor, that wasn't a failure. It was just a redirection. And I learned so much along the way. So I think it's really important for people, especially as they're kind of navigating their calling and navigating their kind of their direction. It's so important that our calling is not a straight line. It's actually a lot of different 
paths and often looks more like a zigzag than a straight line. <laughs> um, and I think the more okay we become with that, the closer we get to what we're supposed to be doing. And the more you veer off from what you think you should be, the more interesting it becomes, right? So if you became a doctor, it would have just been that mm -hmm. one thing, but then you went to school, became a pastor, met someone really interesting, and now here you are mm -hmm. doing these amazing mm -hmm. things, traveling the country, doing speaking engagement, helping so many people mm -hmm. out. So it's such a blessing in a lot of ways when we have these setbacks and failures because it leads us to something so much bigger than what we thought we could be. So what is the one thing you wish you knew before becoming a speaker and a consultant? I think for me, there was a pivotal moment in my journey when actually I was actually in college and I started beginning to really feel a passion towards public speaking. And there was a pivotal moment for me when I remember waking up early one morning and grabbing a cup of coffee and I was just doing some reflection. What if I weren't able to ever speak again? I had to ask myself, would I be okay? And the thing that's so ironic about finding our calling is that we place our identity all around that. We become what we do. And I think for me, the pivotal moment for me was I'm actually still Danny Kim, even if I lost my voice tomorrow, even if I were never to speak again in front of a large crowd or audience, even if I weren't able to create PowerPoints and presentations and facilitate, that was a changing point for me because my identity was no longer placed in what I did, but in simply who I was and that my gifts and my talents and my strengths were a gift to the world that I can give away. And so honestly, that'd be like, after 10 years of speaking and doing public speaking and workshops and consulting and coaching, I still have a fear. Every single time I walk into a crowd, just an hour ago, I was doing some prepping for a large client that I have in a couple of weeks and I am scared out of my mind. <laughs> um, but the thing that I have to find my rootedness in is I literally tell myself, if I can impact one person positively, it'll be all worth it. And if I can just influence one person and give them hope or help them see in a new way or change their perspective on an idea, that to me is so worth it. And so for me, I try not to place my identity within what I do, but I place my identity in my rootedness that I'm a human being, that I'm okay where I'm at. I don't have to strive any longer. And that if I can just choose to be okay with that, that everything that I get to do I get to give away. It's not doesn't define me. It doesn't dictate what I do. Um, so even maybe not becoming a doctor, that could have shaped me. And, and it did for several years. There was shame in me saying, I'm, I'm not going to become a doctor. I'm not pursuing being a doctor. But then I began to realize it's okay that I'm not that. I actually kind of jokingly tell people sometimes that I'm an ex-pastor. Um, and they often look at me like, what the heck? Like, did you get fired or something? It's like, <laughs> actually, I, I just chose a different career path. And to be honest, that was the best decision I've ever made. And that's okay because my title doesn't define me, but simply in who I am. And the things that I do is something that I get to give away. In a lot of different stages in our life, even when you're a teenager to when you're in your 20s and your 30s, 
And then obviously you have the very famous saying, midlife crisis. It doesn't matter how mm-hmm. old you are. You're always mm-hmm. trying to find your purpose. And we do in a lot of ways. We put our identity into our work or our purpose or what we think we should be. It's interesting and it's great to find that even you who's been doing this for a decade now, you still have the nerves, you still have the fears and yeah. It's, and, and then, you know, I've seen your videos when you talk. I hope one day I really want to see you live in person, Danny. Sure, sure. <laughs> but you look so confident. And I think when people see you and when they see you talk to the public and when you're speaking, it doesn't seem like you're afraid of anything. But inside, you're bu- <laughs> like you're just a bundle of nerves. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, I think that comes back to my why. You know, if I am stepping onto stage because it's about me, then I should be afraid because I really don't have much to say. I'm not that smart. You know, I'm not that great, honestly. But if I step on stage because I want to influence somebody in a positive direction, if I can help change someone's story, then that is what drives me. And that's what takes the nerves away because then it's not really about me. It's about the other person. Literally, I've stepped in front of stages of thousands of people and I literally have to psych myself out and say, if I can serve this one person, if one person here is something valuable, like all of that preparation and all of these nerves are totally matter and they're totally okay. And I can hear the excitement coming from your voice right now. So (laughs) (laughs) this is definitely something that you're passionate about. And I think uh, for me as well, when I do my podcast, it's about thinking about how I can help other people live the life that they truly want. And really that makes you so excited and it's what drives you every single day, every single moment when you're doing this is that passion to help other people and to have that purpose. A lot of people think that once you find your purpose or you have, well, not purpose, but your goal and you're successful, right? That you have it all figured out. But I've spoken to some people actually who are extremely successful, whether it's the way they monetize their business or how they live their life, but they don't know why they did it in the first place or it was just something that they thought they should do. So how can we really find our purpose even when we do know what we want to do with our life? That's a great question. It's it's a million dollar question, right? And it's the silver bullet. And to be honest, it's going to look different for everybody. But let me share a quick story with you. And this might help some of your listeners. I was doing some coaching the other day with a client of mine, and she's highly successful. Her husband is an executive at a tech startup. She is working, making six figures. She's got two beautiful kids. She lives in the Bay Area and whatnot. And I was talking with her the other day, and I just began to ask her questions. And I said, What's your purpose in life? What does success mean to you? And she just started listing off a thing, number of different items, right? Go to college, do X, Y, and Z, get a house, buy a condo, whatever, buy, have kids, get married. And I asked her, I said, do, did you do all those things? And she said, I did. And I said, so what's next? And she kind of looked at me with a blank stare, like, I don't know, just keep advancing in my career. Mm. And In that moment, I had this epiphany because then I started asking her questions about what what gives her life, what gives her energy. And she shared with me that she's actually a mentor for a couple young people that are underprivileged, who are low income status, and she helps them get into college. And I said, what do you think about that? And she said, that's when I'm most alive. And I said, what if you could reorient your life around that? 
And so we started dreaming together. And I said, do you need this job? <laughs> you know, and she said, not really. She said, we're pretty comfortable. And then I started saying, what if you could start mentoring young men and women who need desperate help and who, who need an internship or need to interview with a CEO? Would you be able to make those connections? She said, absolutely. And I said, what happened? I said, you could probably call someone tomorrow within your, within your contact list and donate $50,000 to help someone get to college. What do you think? And she said, absolutely. And I said, why don't you do that? And I think for her, it was a shift because I think the world tells us that success is about what we do and what we have. But to me, success is about making an impact in people's lives. And that might not mean that you're giving away hundreds of millions of dollars, right? We're not all going to be philanthropists like that. But I think it's about being intentional with the people and the stories in front of us, taking our gifts and talents, whether that's in writing, whether that's in blogging, whether that's in photography or videography or design. For me, it's public speaking communication. For me, it's about taking what you naturally do and giving it away and empowering people. So I think kind of was sad for me to be honest about that story is that the next week she said she still wanted to continue to do what she was doing, which is fine. But for me, I think the stability of finances and the stability of what people say about you, it almost takes over what it means to pursue your passion and find your purpose. And so the, one of the things I would challenge people to consider is what are the voices in my head and who is dictating and determining what success or my passion should look like? It could be a spouse. It could be parents. It could be what the world has to say. Like we need to make X amount of dollars in order to get it. And I do a lot of coaching with some very high power people. And for me, it's never enough. For them, it's never enough. It's like they just need a little bit more. They need another car. They need a better whatever. And so for me, if you can determine what does it mean to be successful from a financial point of view, and then to say, how might I be able to give that away with time, energy, and resources? When you're starting to make the money, when is it ever really going to be enough? Right. And also, how does that compare to helping with people? Does it give you the same fulfillment? Not to say you should be out on the streets and just helping people right. and not yourself. You know, obviously you can't right. help other people if you can't help yourself. But at some point, the amount of money you're making, if you're making enough and you're, make, you're very comfortable in your life, I mean, how much more do you really need? And if you can combine both of that, you can create income while you're helping other people in some way or another. That is the greatest gift that you can give yourself and other people. So I'm in complete agreement with you on that, Denny. It's such a great gift to have as a human being to be able to give back to a lot of people, to sell, even just one person, honestly. If you could just change one person's life, it's so incredible. There's this really two things that are really important when it comes to finances. Number one, money is relative to who is in your spheres of influence. So if you make 80K one year, but your friends all make 150, you're going to feel like you're poor. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reality of it. It's really funny. But let's say you make 50K and everyone makes around you 40K, you feel like you're doing great. Uh, money is tricky in the sense that it's all relative. So I think you have to define what does it mean to be successful for me? What do I need to live off of? And why do I need that much money? The second thing is, is there's this concept uh, introduced by Tim Ferriss and he talks about relative versus absolute wealth. 
when what he means by this is that there's a thing about relative wealth where let's say Debbie, you make a hundred thousand dollars a year and I make $50,000 a year. Absolutely. You are wealthier than me just from a numbers perspective, but let's say you work 80 hours a week and you never have time to see your family and friends. And I work 10 hours a week. Who's wealthier then, right? That's relative wealth in the sense of I'm getting my time back and my time is actually money, you know? And so I think we have to really, I, I love that your audience is maybe thinking intentionally about that is how do we have income in such a way that I can live a life that matters now. And I think we just have to be careful with how we compare ourselves with what the world would have to say about how we to look at our finances and our status and what is quote unquote success. I love deconstructing what the expected norm is to what you believe your life should be because there's so many things like everyone is talking to us, even our family and friends. There's a lot of expectation with how you need to live your life, how much money you should make, where you should be living, children, all of those things. And if you just keep following what everyone is saying and you're not happy or even if you're making a lot of money, because as you said, there's so many successful people money wise, they're so successful, right, with their careers. But deep inside, they're so unhappy. And why is that? And then meanwhile, you have someone who makes a quarter of what they're making or even less that are just so happy. For a lot of my listeners who are travelers, if you if you're listening and you've traveled to even third world countries, compare so many people who sometimes even live in shacks, but they're willing to give you the shirt off their back or the food that's on their table, and they still have a smile on their face and they're happy with their family. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of struggle but they still have a smile on their face and then you come here in New York City everyone like not everyone but there's so many people that have so much but we're always looking for more (laughs) there's always so much more right so how can these people who practically have nothing still have a smile on their face and how are people that have so much still can be extremely unhappy yes and it's funny that phrase is that you get chained by golden handcuffs and the idea is that they are golden (laughs) you know they're made out of gold and it's a lot of it's worth a lot but you're still shackled to it and so many people that um i I, and i commend your listeners who are maybe taking a different route and the unconventional route and saying i want to live a little differently Um, not just in how i work but how i choose to look at my money and finances and um what is more important to me what's most important to me i think that we're beginning to loosen the golden shackles it's hard. It's difficult. And it's important for us to have a conversation about what does it really mean to live a, a, well, a life well lived? It's really important to know that you need to live the life that you want to live and what happiness and success means to you and not what society or family or friends. And it can get very, very hard because you may be stepping on people's toes. People may get unhappy with certain things. As long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone, I think you should be who you truly want to be instead of what is expected of you. Danny, you have given a lot of advice to your clients, and I'm sure while you were learning how to be consultant, even now you're learning from people as well. Mm -hmm. What has been the worst Mm -hmm. advice that you have ever received? It's kind of funny because I'm about to take what I just said and flip it upside down. (laughs) And and sometimes the worst advice you could receive is just to follow your passion. Um, That was, you know, uh, my passion back in college was to be a doctor. 
you know, and I was just following that. I didn't understand that I need to begin to look critically at what my talents were. Um, so I do a lot of strengths coaching. And according to Gallup, the way that they define strengths is naturally recurring patterns of thought, feelings, and behavior that can be productively applied. And so if we take that definition of talents and strengths, you have to merge that and align that with your passion. You see, I'm passionate about doctors and medical stuff, but my talent wasn't there. My talent was in public speaking and in communication. My talent was being able to tell a story to help people cry, you know, or to drive a point home. And so for me, it's about aligning your passion with your talents. It's not just simply following your passion. So I think that there's listeners out there that are just saying, I just want to follow my passion. You have to really consider, <laughs> are you good at it? You know, is that something that comes naturally to you? Do you have different signs of success? Are you, is it something that comes instinctually? And is it something that you can monetize? You know, um, is it something that you're willing to be paid for? It's a double-edged sword in some ways when, it fall, when you follow your passion, because part of it is that your talent allows you to do something so successfully that you don't know that you're even doing it. But the other side of it is, that you're willing to do it without getting paid for it, but you get paid for it. And I think that's what a lot of people are trying to find is what's that sweet spot in the middle where I, it's something that I love doing and I enjoy doing that I'm naturally good at, that people affirm that, and I can get paid, but it doesn't feel like I should be getting paid. That is really true because there's so many things we can be passionate about, right? I can be passionate about hiking. Well, you get paid for that. <laughs> I know. And honestly, yeah. I, I don't think I have a lot of uh, talent for that anyways. So <laughs> I don't think I would be right. able to do that. But it's true that you should follow your passion to whatever it is that you do. But yeah, aligning it with a talent that you have is crucial to actually make yes. a living from that. So I think that's the one yes. key that we are not told. <laughs> yes, yes. Follow yes. your passion. That's great. But you also need to align it with your talent. So we're actually going to be talking about this in more detail for the extended interview. So definitely listen to that as well. Danny, how were you able to create income in this chosen career at the start? And how do you continue to create income today? Part of me is that I am rooted more in San Diego. And so that has some responsibilities that come with it. But a lot of my ongoing revenue has to do with coaching clients that I build. It's all about relationships for me. So in my industry, my service is me in the sense of people hire me to help them with direction and alignment and clarity and also help find other people. So a couple of different things that I did a couple of years ago is I published a book that has a little bit of income um, that way. It's called Influx, Finding Purpose in Transition. And I wrote that book in a season where I was in an incredible transition, where I was transitioning career paths and I felt stuck. And so that's one way of generating income. I do a lot of public speaking. And so um, it's a hustle. If anyone has done, tried that or wants to do that, it's a hustle because I'm constantly applying for a call for proposals, for conferences, um, but I'm using media as a way of marketing myself. It's really important. still have a lot more work to do there. And then also, too, I do consulting. I work for an organization called Centauric here in San Diego, based here in San Diego. They provide an income there. So it's great to have a team that's very agile. I didn't go to a team that was uh, very bureaucratic or large. 
Um, I have a team that really supports me and we do some incredible work together. So that's kind of my source of income right now. It's great that you have different sources of income and places where you can actually get that. So that's really important, especially if you're a freelancer and you're a consultant. So that's a great idea. Let's fast forward to 50 years from now and you're looking back at your life. What legacy would you like to leave and what do you want to be remembered for? One of the things that I'm really passionate about, kind of like we talked about at the very beginning, is that um, I really want to understand the impact of technology on human behavior and human psyche. And so I think for me, if there's uh, anything that I want to be remembered for, I would love for people to know that I got to help be a part of thinking critically about our technology usage in order, not just simply to understand technology, but in order to enhance human connection and connectivity um, and human creativity. I think I really want to inspire people to be able to harness their use of technology. And, and there's probably people listening who are freelance designers or freelance developers, really having an eye towards saying, how might we enhance human development, not hinder it or take away from it? And so um, I, I want to be able to inspire people to live a different story. Um, as a result of that, to be able to lean into that and to be more present and cognizant of their presence in order to live a life well lived, uh, to live a, a meaningful life and a purposeful life. You're definitely starting that even now. I mean, you haven't started, you're already doing it. So it's just going to keep going up from there, which is really exciting. So let's get to some fun questions. Some people like myself, I nerd out on interviewing inspiring people like you, hiking, traveling, and watching some really cheesy 80s movies. <laughs> nice. What about you, Danny? What do you nerd out on? So I'm a musician. I'm a classically trained musician, and I started playing violin um, at the age of six. So I love playing music. Uh, I've, for the last decade or so, I play in more of a rock style music. I play electric guitar as well. And so that's fun for me to get to participate in. It, it allows me to be creative in a different way. And I don't play so much classical music anymore, uh, but I get to kind of use my classical background and training in order to infuse it with music. So I just love music. I'm an appreciator of it. I love listening to vinyls. Uh, those are some of my favorites. And then also too, I love surfing, um, living. That's why I choose to live in San Diego and to be closer to the coast. I love the warm water. I love the waves. And so on my free time, I'm surfing and I'm trying to catch some great waves. I'm imagining you in Hawaii for some reason surfing with a ukulele. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes. I love, I spent a summer there and everyone thought I was Hawaiian. It was amazing. <laughs> so I grew up my hair. I was super dark and tan. It was amazing. Let's make this happen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I got to make myself more mobile and get there more often. <laughs> That's right. That would be fun, though, surfing and doing your music and consulting and exactly. speaking. That's perfect. Yep. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. If you were given a one-minute ad slot during the Super Bowl and you can't sell it with the potential to reach millions of people, what would you fill it with? I would fill it with an ad that helps people consider their smartphone usage and in order that they might be able to become more connected with one another. That's just the first thing that comes to my mind. I have no idea why, but I just feel like I'm really passionate about this topic. And it's funny because there was a commercial recently. Basically, it was kind of tapping into pop culture and FOMO, and it really made me sick. Because it almost like fed the lie that we have to live this like Instagram life. And I'm like, why is that commercial 
being played right now? Like who made that? Does it seem so counterintuitive to what is meaningful in life, you know? And so I would want to do an ad that's reversed to that, you know, like those commercials about smoking several years ago. (laughs) And then it says like a surgeon's general warning, you might get cancer from this. Like, I almost feel like I need an ad on like, Hey, by the way, you might die from this, like, or you might lose your connection and, and reality in touch with reality and be alone and be alone. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So having traveled to a lot of different places and speaking to so many different people, what has been the most life-changing meeting with a person that has ever happened to you? I think there was one time I was traveling in India and I was in Mumbai and that was the most culturally shocking experience for me. Um, I would stand in the middle of the street and there were slums on one side and on the other side directly next to it there was a multi-million dollar condo and uh, the sights and the smells and the sounds were a full body assault. And I'll never forget this nonprofit that was working in the red light district. They were doing something that was giving their lives away. Um, They uh, were not doing something that was publicized by any means. Uh, They weren't spreading their word around. No one knows who they are. But they were uh, serving these people who were stuck in that environment. And I think for me, that inspired me so much to say, in what ways am I stuck in my own traps, you know, in my own golden handcuffs, if you will. And I, I just know, I don't know, that inspired my speaking because I said, if I, if I can give a voice to the people like this, that will matter, you know, that will, that will make a difference. And I think if anyone has a chance to experience some of those places, it's, it's life changing. Um, I remember riding in the red light district and turning uh, and looking and seeing a young woman who just felt, it just felt like she was so trapped. And I just was like, I want to change the world, even if it means supporting um, organizations like this. Crazy to me. It was uh, culturally shocking, um, but also to just eye opening that this is the world that we live in and that we need to take one step closer to to solving some of these challenges. And it's easy to just look at our lives and the places around us because we are in a lot of ways in a bubble. We are really privileged to live where we are, to have even the problem of spending too much time on your phone is a privilege. That's a huge privilege. And that's why traveling and seeing the other side of the world and how most people actually live and there's only a small part of us there's literally billions of people in the world and there's so many people who live with pretty much nothing and have to go through with these ridiculously horrible conditions and what they have to put themselves into to maybe even feed their children i'm so glad that you were able to see that danny because i'm pretty sure it shaped who you are right now as a person and that's why you really want to give a helping hand to every person that you encounter is there any question that you wish people asked you more of? I think more if I, I would like for people to ask me more about why I do what I do. And I think the answer really simply to that, and I mean, I would love to have conversations with people about this, but it's really about seeing people for who they really are and finding dignity in. Uh, I think sometimes we get lost in the, the luster of the, the speaking and the videos and the highlight reels, you know? And honestly, like one of the most shaping moments for me uh, when I first moved to San Diego was I was a behavioral therapist with autistic kids. Oh my, really? Danny, that's what I do now. (laughs) 
Oh, that's awesome. That's like my other job that I do besides that's podcasting. Awesome. <laughs> that's so awesome. It was so defining for me, uh, so much of my experience in India. But for me, I realized during my time working with those kids, I didn't even know what autism was until I started working there, to be honest. And while I was there, I was shaped so dramatically by the, fact, the reality that these people, these young students, they would never know my name. And, and yet they had something inherently valuable to them. Um, and I, I just wish people would ask me more about like, what was that, how it has, has that shaped my philosophy on people, <laughs> you know? And for me, it's, and that's why like, I love working with clients. Challenges and their problems are difficult for sure, but they have the ability to think and create and dream and see a future that's not yet created. And I think whenever I have an opportunity to coach or talk with people, like I choose to have a view of positive intent towards them and to see them uh, in maybe ways that they've never been seen before. And so I think just the question of like, what's your philosophy on coaching or people or how you see people? And I think for me, that is deeply ingrained in me. I know a lot of ABA therapists because I'm still in that industry. And one of the things that I get from most of the behavioral therapists that I meet is we have a lot of empathy and patience because of that. And it really shapes how you deal and interact with people because you're no longer just seeing the outside of the person. There's a lot of that's within you. So I'm so I, that's so interesting that you were a behavioral yeah. therapist as well. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. so funny. See, I was just, just making my way. You've got to figure out your life calling. And I mean, I hope people that are listening that, that they're inspired by my journey because it doesn't happen overnight. You know, um, I had a mentor tell me this once and it was super powerful. He said, Danny, in your 20s, you're just trying to figure it out. In your 30s, you're doing that thing you figured out. In your 40s, you're crushing it. In your 50s, you're teaching it. And in your 60s, you're, re you're reinventing because you're trying to figure out what's next in life. And for me, that gave me such freedom to be able to be okay with the journey and to not feel rushed and to just begin to think through, how can I build a healthy foundation and a mental foundation that isn't driven by success and money, that isn't driven by what the world would say is successful, but is deeply rooted in who I am and what I have to offer. I don't know, it gives a lot of people permission to be like, it's okay being where I am right now and just take one step at a time. What are the things that I can control and what are the intentional steps that I'm going to choose to make, you know, whatever that might be. And one of the things that I'm really proud of that I think you and I are similar in a lot of ways is we've tried so many different things in our 20s. That's why a lot of things make sense now is because we did have a lot of failures. We tried a lot of different things. We felt really bad about it. But then when it all comes down to it, we learned so much. So experimenting and really trying a lot of different things is so crucial to growth and to an, essentially your success is because of all of the things that you've tried. So don't feel like you have to just stay at that one job or that one thing that you feel like you should be doing because that's what you think people tell you you should do try to experiment it's really hard to do but once you do it it's eye-opening and you feel a sense of relief in a way as well because you give yeah, yourself that absolutely. permission what are you working on today that's really exciting to you one of the things that I'm working on right now is I'm creating some training programs to help managers give better feedback to their employees and I know that sounds really like 
kind of boring. But <laughs> recently I presented it and I did a workshop with a group of managers who are relatively younger in their career. And it was so affirming. Um, literally, I had somebody email me a couple of days ago after the workshop saying, Danny, I used your methodology and your feedback. And it was transformative in my conversation with my direct report. Like it went way better than I anticipated it. So for me, I think it's about developing human capacity. And when I hear stories like that, it's not about my content by any means, but I'm provided a space to be able to influence and to help others uh, begin to have a more empathetic eye towards it. So I just, I'm excited about that project that I'm working on. I'm also working on a project right now for a large automobile company, and we're doing a workshop on consumer experience. Um, and we're leading some executives and some dealers through a workshop. And that, that's like really fun to me. On, to be honest, Debbie, though, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm nervous. I don't feel like I'm qualified enough <laughs> to be able to lead it. But I have to remind myself again, kind of what I said earlier, it's not about me. It's about them. It's about what I, ideas we can generate through this workshop. And I don't, I don't have to be afraid because I just get to be the messenger in some ways. And I get to provide a great experience for them a very clear one, but it's not about me and being like the star of the show, if that makes sense. So there's no pressure for me. That's such a great reminder to tell yourself every single time when you're out there trying to help other people. It's not about you. It's about helping them. So the stress and the anxiety, it becomes lower when you think about it in that sense. What a great technique there, Danny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true for everybody. You know, when you're making a design or if you're writing or if you're traveling, I mean, it's just, I think the antidote to fear is others turning the eye towards somebody else and saying, how can I serve you? You know, and how can I help you? It takes the, the mind shift of it's about me, you know, because at the end of the day, it really isn't. Uh, or, or if it is, then we're just going to get stuck in anxiety and depression and, and being afraid and never stepping out and never reaching out. But if we say, how can I have like 30 seconds of courage to reach out? It can make all the difference in the world. Yeah, and it becomes bigger than you. It's a different type of purpose when you're trying to make it into a positive impact for not just for yourself, but for other people as well. And it circles back and who knows who you're impacting and then they're going to do the same thing to other people. So it's like a domino effect. You know, you impact one person and then they do the same thing. If our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you? Sure. So they can find me on my website at dannykim with two m.com no, that is not a typo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> true story. Back in the day, probably when I was like on like, I don't know, AOL or something, <laughs> there was no Danny Kim with one M. So I had to go with two and I didn't want to put a number behind it. So that's become kind of my branding. So on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, it's all Danny Kim with two M's. I would love to have people reach out as they know, or maybe they've heard that I do coaching, consulting. I help people define their careers. I help them in transition. And I work with organizations building human capacity and innovating some really cool things. So, or if they just have questions, if people have questions, they're like, hey, I just have a quick question. I help people all the time with career changes and whatnot. So I'd be happy to be a resource for them. We definitely need you as a resource, Danny, because I feel like so many people have that issue right now, especially if they're transitioning. And make sure you check out the extended interview with Danny where we're going to talk more about how to find your purpose in transition. Thank you so much, Danny, for speaking with us today. You are so fun to talk to. I've gotten so many great insights from you and tips. So thank you so much for, for talking to 
to us today. Absolutely. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this interview with Danny. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to get the extended interview with Danny where he shares how to find your purpose in transition. Hey, Offbeat family, I really appreciate you listening to this episode. I would love to hear more from you and what you think of the podcast suggestions on guests, topics we can discuss, or maybe you just want to be friends. Why don't we chat some more on Facebook at The OB Life or send me a message at hello at theoffbeatlife.com. I can't wait to hear from you.